Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your brother Hussein Kamani. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting our efforts is endless. You never know who will be able to benefit from your donation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Because when a person develops this skill set, first and foremost, they gain respect in the eyes of people. And secondly, um, they also are able to become independent. And when you become independent from people, you can then start focusing more on your ibadah. You can now walk with people among, with honor, without, rather than people looking down upon you. Nabi saw an able man asking for money. He said, what are you doing here? You're asking people for money and you're able? Go and earn for yourself. One narration says that he gave him an axe. He said, go cut wood. You have an axe? Go cut wood. Don't sit here. It's better for you to go and carry wood, firewood on your shoulder, which is not a prestigious job, I understand. Or in our community, it's better for you to work at a gas station or work at a grocery store. It's not the most prestigious job. But at least you're earning money. At least you're not asking people. You should always ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save you from ever spreading your hands in front of people. Ask Allah for ghina. Ghina, this is the word. Ghina. Ya Allah, make me independent. Ya Allah, don't make me reliant on other people. One of the du'as my mother rahimahullah used to always make, subhanAllah, she had no illness in her life. She was not a sick person. She was never dependent. And she used to always say this, Allah ta'ala kabhi kisi ka muhtaj na banaye. These were her words. May Allah never make me muhtaj in need of another person. I hope I can always walk myself. I don't want anyone to ever push me on a wheelchair. I hope I can always clean after myself. I don't want anyone to clean after me. I hope I can always take care of myself, iron my own clothes. She used to iron her own clothes, make her own bed, do her own cooking. This was who these people were because they did not find joy in being dependent on other people. And this is a very sad state and I can't emphasize it because there are people in our community who just have no desire to work. In some cases, they're dumping the responsibilities of inside the home and outside the home on their wives while all they do is sit at home and watch TV and go out with their friends. What kind of person is this? What kind of person abandons all responsibility? And this is a common type of person, unfortunately. Some folks say they're trying. Well, you should do something. Even if you're trying in the interim, if you can't get back into your field that you have a skill set in, in the interim, there are other jobs you can do. There are other things. Now, that's, here's another question whether, I mean, it's a whole different situation if you don't feel comfortable doing that job. But at, at, at a time, you have to put aside what you feel comfortable doing and do what needs to be done. Right? And this is what Nabi wasallam was telling that man, that it's better for you to carry firewood, which is a very small thing to do, than to, and it's a very difficult thing as well. Carrying wood is not easy, it's heavy. But it's better for you to carry firewood than to stand in front of other people and ask them. Now in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on multiple occasions mentions um, some judgments that were given by Dawud alayhi salam. And we're going to spend a little time um, discussing some of these uh, instances in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَهَلْ أَتَاكَ نَبَأُ الْخَصْمِ إِذْ تَصَوَّرُوا الْمِحْرَابِ إِذْ دَخَلُوا عَلَى دَاوُدَ فَفَزِعَ مِنْهُمْ قَالُوا لَا تَخَفْ خَصْمَانِ بَغَى بَعْضُنَا عَلَى بَعْضِ فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَنَا بِالْحَقِّ وَلَا تُشْتِطْ 
وَهْدِنَا إِلَىٰ سَوَاءِ السِّرَاتِ This is in Surah Sad, verse number 21. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes reference to an incident that occurred. Dawud had a personal place of worship. Dawud as a person was very particular about his privacy. Just keep this point in your mind. And when he worshipped, he had an area that was closed off that he would sit in where he would not be disturbed and he could focus and worship there. Now, one day Dawud was sitting there doing his ibadah and all of a sudden, someone scaled the wall, they jumped over the wall, some parkour folks came and they jumped over the wall and now they're in front of Dawud Dawud looked at these people and naturally, he was you know, unsettled by these people jumping over his wall and sitting in front of him in his place of worship, a place where he specifically did not like other people coming and interrupting him. Dawud was also a very... He was a strong man, the guy beat Jalut. So if he wanted, he can swing one time and probably knock them both out with one punch. So immediately they said to Dawud not to khaf, don't fear. Khasmani baga ba'duna ala ba'd That we have two parties... And someone has wronged the other. So we want you to judge between us without deviating from the truth. Wahdina ila and guide us to the straight pathway. Now, there are many um, points here. Fafazi'a minhum, when they jumped over Dawud wall, Fafazi'a minhum, Dawud was startled. What is going on here? Why did these people jump over? So, from this, and the reason why he was startled was because. دَخَلُوا عَلَيْهِ مِنْ غَيْرِ إِسْتِئْذَانِ sorry. They came to him without seeking any permission. Therefore, they startled Dawud alayhi salam. Some ulama, they say, كَانَ دُخُلُهُمْ عَلَيْهِ لَيْلًا That it wasn't only that they jumped over his wall, but they came to Dawud alayhi salam in his place of worship at night time. So that kind of threw him off more. These people invaded his privacy. They jumped over a wall. And they came to him at night time. So someone can ask, why is it that Dawud did not demand these people be taken out immediately even though they violated every right of his when they came to him? Someone can ask that question. Why is it that Dawud because Dawud had soldiers, he had guards everywhere, he was a ruler, he could have easily commanded his soldiers to take these people out. I don't care what your issue is. The answer to this is, وَالْجَوَادُ كَمَا يَبْدُ Shaykh Abdul Kalim Zaydan, Rahimahullah, Dr. Abdul Kalim Zaydan, while addressing this, he says, the answer, as it seems apparent, اِعْتِذَارُهُمْ was because of their, um, their excuse they presented in front of Dawud That they came to Dawud palace, they sought permission to enter, they were not given permission. They tried to visit him, multiple times in public gatherings, it's possible in all those times, they couldn't make it to the front. So then these people, فَطَّرُّوا إِلَى الدُّخُولِ عَلَيْهِ عَنْ تَرِيقِ التصور. And then therefore they were then forced to enter and meet Dawud through this very abnormal approach. This, this may have been the other that they presented to Dawud the excuse, and therefore Dawud um, he, he accepted it. Now come to the, let's come to the issue. What was the issue? There was one person that had 99 animals. The other person had one animal. I want you to listen carefully to this. One person had 99 female sheep. And the other person had one. 
The one that had 99 was making an attempt to take the one sheep that his partner had and include it into his 99, making it 100. Do you guys understand that? This is the situation. Now, naturally, if you go to any person and you ask them what's the ruling on such a scenario, their immediate answer would be that the one who has 99 is being greedy, he should be happy with what he has, and not force the hand of the person that only has one, usurping and taking that too. That would be the natural answer. And this is exactly what Dawud did. He gave verdict against the one that had 99, and in favor of the one that had, just had one animal. This is what happened. Now he says, um, Not only is he trying to take my property, but he's being very rough with me too. He's being very harsh. This person, when I, I'm, I'm afraid that if I present my case in front of anyone and he presents his case, he knows how to speak. This guy has overcome me in speech. I'm a simple person. I have simple words. While this person has very good words, he's very eloquent, he'll win the heart of anyone. So he's done me wrong. This is the claim. And he's very good at speaking too. I have no chance against him. Uh, so I put you responsible of helping me in this situation. So Dawud salam, what did he do? He said, لَقَدْ ظَلَمَكَ بِسُؤَالِ نَعْجَتِكَ إِلَى نِعَاجِ He said to the one that had 99 that you've done wrong by trying to take the one that this man has. You've done wrong to him. Then Dawud salam, made a very interesting statement. Um, but before I get to that statement of Dawud salam, I'm going to hold off. I'm going to finish off the story and then come back to that statement. Because that statement requires focus in and of itself. Dawud salam, he gave this verdict, both parties left. The, poor, the person that had won got to walk away with his animal, he was happy. The guy who had 99, the verdict was given against him. Now a short while after, Dawud salam sent someone to go and find those people again. When he went to find them, when they looked everywhere, they couldn't find these folks anymore. They checked everywhere. At that point, it hit Dawud salam that maybe these people were not human beings, maybe these were angels sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Dawud was quick in giving the verdict. He did not take his time like he normally would have. When Dawud was sitting in his court and people would come to him, there was a process. That's why if a qadi is not in his seat, don't ask him a question. You might want a quick answer, but in the quick answer, he might give an answer that may not be the best answer. Do you guys understand that? It was the middle of the night. He was in the middle of his ibadah. These guys jumped over his wall. They were sitting in front of him. Things were not appropriate. Therefore, Dawud may have given the answer a little quickly. Now, what was the mistake Dawud made? Dawud did not listen to the other guy's side of the story. He just listened to one part of the story, and he gave a verdict. And that's when Dawud when he couldn't find the people, he realized that it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was testing him. وَظَنَّ دَاوُدُ أَنَّمَا فَتَنَّاهُ that indeed we have tested him. He repented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He went into prostration, bowing in front of Allah, and he turned back to Allah, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness for being quick in giving a judgment. For being quick in giving his judgment. Okay. Now, uh, a few points here. The first thing we learn is that for a qadi and a judge, it's very important that when you give their verdict, when you give a verdict, the circumstances must be appropriate. That's why the ulama, they say that a qadi, a judge, should not give a verdict when he's angry. 
A judge should not give a verdict when he's sleeping. When he's sleepy. A judge should not give a verdict while he's hungry, while he's thirsty. Because these things may cause him to give a verdict quickly, and that can affect. Judgments and rulings by their nature take time. You can never force someone to give a judgment quickly. That's why no matter which court you go to, no matter what part of the world you go to, if there is a serious matter that a judge is giving a verdict on, he will take his time. He will be slow. So the next time you ask your imam for a question, an answer for a question, and he doesn't answer instantly, fatwa on demand, then don't be upset. This is not a TV station. That you just, you know, TV on demand, you just flick and it's there. That person may need to consult one person, they may need to consult a second person, they may need to consult a third person. And if you force them to give an answer, maybe they might give an answer, but the answer may not be the best answer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us from this story of um, Dawud alayhi salam, the ulama, they write, وَعَلَى الْجَمَاعَةِ الْمُسْلِمَةِ تَأَنِّي فِي إِصْدَارِ حُكْمِ That the ulama, the people, should be calm when they derive rulings. They shouldn't be quick and always wanting answers very quickly. Now the second thing, this is the point I wanted to focus on. That Dawud alayhi after that, now let's go back to that statement of Dawud alayhi salam. He said to this, he said to this person that... Um, وَإِنَّ كَثِيرًا مِنَ الْخُلَطَاءِ لَيَبْغِي بَعْضُهُمْ عَلَىٰ بَعْضٍ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَقَلِيلٌ مَّا هُمْ This is a very beautiful verse in Surah Sad, verse number 24. I encourage you to reflect over this ayah and really read the tafsir and the translation and let it settle in. Because in this verse, Dawud makes a statement that is so universal, it's so pure, that if we can understand this, Many of our problems would be gone. What does he say? مِنَ الْخُلَطَى Most times when you have a partnership, Someone transgresses the other person. Partnerships are not good. The best thing is for you to do business on your own. So you have control. You do things according to your way. Partnerships are good if everyone involved in the partnership is mature, if the contract is clear, detailed, and if there is piety and righteousness involved, no person is comfortable cheating the other person. Except for those who believe and do good deeds. Because if you aren't God-fearing and you're in partnership with another person, greed will take the best of you and you're going to kick that person out of the partnership and steal their, steal their shares. How many people do we know that they entered into a partnership and today they're miserable. Whether it was buying a house together, buying a gas station together, going into you know, uh, any sort of business venture together. A lot of people, they lose out in their partnerships because they assume the best in their partner because Allah has blessed them with simplicity. So when they see other people, they think good in them. But at the end of it, unfortunately, because they didn't write things out clearly in their contracts, they end up getting hit hard. Have you guys heard of this story before in your life? relatives, family members. Oh, we went into business, I didn't write anything down because I thought good of them. And the next thing you know, five years later or two years later, that person didn't think good of you and you're out of the business and they've taken all the shares and it's as if you haven't worked for five years and you're in a hole now. It's very important that when you have contracts, you write them down and you are thorough. It's not a matter of that person being corrupt. It's a matter of your own intentions. We're not saying that person will be bad. How can you guarantee you won't wrong that person? I know many folks who don't write contracts because they don't want to pay a lawyer. They're being cheap. 
They don't want to pay someone $500, $600. And in the long run, they end up losing out sometimes $600,000. Because they didn't spend, pay that $500, $600 at the beginning to clarify and clean up their contracts. Always write your contracts down. Make the terms clear. Show them to ulama first. Show them, ask them that, is this contract jaiz? Is it okay for me? And if they say yes, you move on. People, they actually struggle with differences. One person says they want to do business this way. Another person says, I want to do business that way. Two people are partners in a, um, in a used um, car lot. One says, I want to sell cars that are much older with damaged, that, that have gone through accidents and they have an accident title. The other one says, no, I don't want to touch that market. I want to focus on newer cars. But they're used, but newer ones, you see? Now, two visions of the same business. Unless they have a procedure and process in place to walk them through conflict, it won't work. This is when you know a masjid, an institution, has really thought things thoroughly, where not only do they have good bylaws for functioning the masjid, but they also have bylaws in place for conflict resolution. When they have bylaws in place for conflict resolution, this is when you know someone has really given this thought. At the end of that verse, Dawud said, وَقَلِيلٌ مَّهُمْ Good partners are قَلِيلٌ مَّهُمْ What did he say? Very few. It's very, very, very difficult to find good partners. There was a person that I once went into business myself. I've done, gone on many business ventures. It's part of life. Uh, this one person... What an ajeeb case. What an ajeeb case. Um, he said to me that I want to finalize our business contract agreement in the haram. I said, you want to fly all the way from America to the haram to finalize the business contract? We can just do it here. He said, no, no, we'll do it in the haram. I said, no. I mean, I was going, I ha- there's, there's never a time where you give, you're giving an excuse to go for Umrah and you won't take it. Sure, I have an excuse now. Let's go to Umrah. Sure, let's do it. So I went to Umrah. We sat in the haram. Uh, and he said, I would like to take an oath in front of the Kaaba. We were sitting in the haram together after Fajr Salah. He said, I would like to take an oath that I will never cheat you. I said, you don't have to take an oath. You know that, right? Like, I trust you. That's enough. He said, I want to take an oath. I said, okay, take an oath. He took an oath. He said, I would like for you to take an oath. I said, well, I don't need to take an oath either. I would like for you to trust me that I'll never cheat you. I'll die ten times. I won't cheat you for your money. That I can promise you. He said, no, I want you to take an oath. I said, okay. I took an oath. Then he said, I'm going to touch the Quran and take another oath. I said, brother, relax. It's too much. I get it. I trust you. Um, anyway, he touched the Quran and took an oath. Then he said, let's pray Salat al-Duha and make dua. I said, okay, let's do it. Praise Salat al-Duha, we made dua for barakah. Um, we left the haram. And um, I gave him a small amount of the money that was needed for the investment. It was a small portion of it, I gave him a small portion. He ran away with money. He ran away with the money from there. And I sat there the whole day and I thought to myself, Ya Allah! Why did you take an oath? Like, I don't care if you took my money. That's okay. I'm not sad. I'm actually not sad about you taking my money. Like that money, my mother used to always say, Sadqa Megya. Like, this is a statement she would say. If money is gone, it was never yours. You know, it's gone. It's okay. Maybe Allah will use it to protect you from some other calamity. Like, I, 
I kid you not, how much was I bothered by the money I lost? Zero. How destroyed and crumbled was I from all the oaths this guy took for like 45 minutes straight in front of the Kaaba, in the Haram, before wudu, after wudu, in Salah, in the second Rakah, like all the oaths he took. And then he violated them instantly. I was amazed. I came back and I told my wife that I can't believe that this person had any iman in his heart. I'm hoping that he died inshallah and I don't know and nobody in his family knows about him dying and he just, or maybe some jinn came and took him away. This is the dua that I make to Allah because the alternative that this guy stole money after taking an oath in the Kaaba, in front of the Kaaba repeatedly, that shakes me at my core. That shakes me right here. That this person really has no taqwa of Allah at all. That's an alternative I don't want. I don't want that for this person. وَإِنَّ كَثِيرًا مِنَ الْخُلَطَاءِ لَيَبْغِي بَعْضُهُمْ عَلَىٰ بَعْضٍ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And then Dawud alayhi salam at the end said, وَقَلِيلٌ مَا هُمْ They are uh, very few people who actually have this level of uh, consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and are able to uh, be good partners. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from that very few. That we're honest. We're not trying to get a one up on someone else for a buck or two, for a dollar or two. Now there are some Israeli riwayat, some of Fasirun underneath this verse have said some very ajib tafasir, given some interesting commentaries. Wallahi, the commentaries they've proposed underneath the explanation of this ayah are nothing short of blasphemy. They narrate them, and I'll narrate them now too, so that because they are from Israeli Hebrew Jewish traditions, and I'll quote them as a part of that, so we have knowledge, that's why they, that's why they quoted them. But wallahi, some of the things that these people have said regarding Sayyidina Dawud and Musa and some of their narrations and traditions, it really makes you wonder whether they even love Dawud or not. Like, do you even care for this person? How could you hold an opinion like this? One of the, one of the interpretations they give, they say that this was actually angels that came to test Dawud the test wasn't regarding, the Muslim interpretation of this ayah is, the test was regarding whether he heard both sides of the story. And Dawud did not do so. Why not? I explained why he didn't, because of whatever the reasons were. They say the test wasn't regarding Dawud questioning both parties. Rather what happened was, there was a general that Dawud had. He had a general. His general had a very beautiful wife. Dawud alayhi salam had 99 wives already. He fell in love with the wife of this general. Now Dawud alayhi salam couldn't marry this lady. He wanted to bring her into his marriage. He couldn't do that. I feel bad even saying this. Um, I've said it before, it's a lie, and I'll say it again, it's a lie, this whole statement. It's, I believe, outright kufr. But I'll share it anyway. They say that Dawud alayhi salam wanted to marry this lady, but he couldn't as long as her husband was in the picture. So what he did was, he sent her husband with a group of soldiers on a mission that they, were, they, were, they, would, they would surely fail, and he would die. And it was after that general died in that battlefield, which Dawud orchestrated, he then went and married this lady. And then when, they, when the angels came and presented this scenario, Dawud realized, oh my God, they're not talking about animals, they're talking about me. And he made tawbah to Allah. How can someone have a thought like this about a prophet of Allah? I kid you not, 
In Islam, we are very serious. We take it very seriously when anyone makes claims against prophets of Allah. We have a central aqidah system. There's one point in our aqidah that's right at the center of our belief. What is what? The anbiya are ma'asum. The anbiya are protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't tolerate people making statements like this against such great prophets of Allah. You know, would you even accept someone making a statement like this against you know, your own parents? At the end of the day, our parents are still humans. Maybe they could do such a thing. But how can a prophet who is communicating with Allah regularly, who Allah has chosen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising him in the Qur'an and saying fadla and ilma and all this alhamdulillahilladhi fadlana and all this, and mentioning him in the Qur'an again and again by name. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned a sleazebag in the Qur'an, astaghfirullah, 16 times by name? No. What kind of aqidah, what kind of uh, belief system unfortunately do people have regarding the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Um, there's another uh, narration Allah, in, in another place of the Quran in Surah Anbiya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions another one of the disputes that was presented to Sayyidina Dawood alayhi salam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says wa Dawooda wa Sulaiman wa da, Surah Anbiya verse number 70, uh, 78 and 79 wa Dawooda wa Sulaiman wa kunna lihukmihim shahideen فَفَهَّمْنَاهَا سُلَيْمَانِ وَكُلَّنْ آتِنَا حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا وَسَخَّرْنَا مَعَ دَاوُدَ الْجِبَالِ يُسَبِّحْنَا وَالطَّيْرِ وَكُنَّا فَاعِلِينَ Now before I, I explain this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed Dawood alayhi salam with an intelligent, smart, brave son whose name was Sulaiman. What was his name? Sulaiman. People get confused. Who was the son? Who was the father? Was Dawood the father? Was Sulaiman the father? Anyone here get confused between the two? I know a lot of people that tell me they get confused. I always tell them in the Quran, if you can remember this, um, if you can remember the uh, the verse, Allah subhanahu wa taala starts with Dawood alayhi salam. Wa Dawood wa Sulaiman. He doesn't say wa Sulaiman wa Dawood. What does Allah say? Wa Dawood wa Sulaiman. And an easier way, an even more simple way to remember this. Is Dawood the dad? Sulaiman as son. Right? Dawood was the father. Sulaiman was the was the son. Naam. So what happened in this case? Now Dawood salam, when he would sit in the court and give judgments, he would take his young Sulaiman with him. And Sulaiman salam, before a prophet, at a young age, he would sit in the gatherings of his father. His father would teach, give dars. His father would give fatwa. And Sulaiman as a young kid would sit there and listen. He would listen. He would listen. Now, if a kid, if a kid can watch Home Alone three times and have all of the lyrics memorized, do you think Sulaiman had the ability to memorize the fiqhi rulings and gain faqaha, the level of intellectual grinding needed to become a jurist by listening to his father? Do you think that's possible? This is what happened. He became very intelligent because he was sitting with his father who was even more intelligent. He saw how his father spoke. He saw how his father derived rulings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَفَهَّمْنَاهَا Sulaiman That we gave the understanding of this ruling to Sulaiman alayhi salam. So Sulaiman alayhi salam would sit in his father's gathering and listen to people. Now one case was presented to Dawood alayhi salam. What was the case? 
One person said that my land shares borders with another person's land. His animals crossed into my land. They trampled all of my crops. My crops are destroyed. What do we do? Do you guys understand the scenario? What do we do now? So Dawud gave the verdict. He said that the person with the um, the person who caused the damage is responsible. The person who caused the damage is responsible, meaning the owner of the animals will have to pay out of his pocket for all the damage caused. All the damage caused. Now when they were leaving, Sulaiman came to them and asked them, he was young, he asked them, what did my father say? They said, this is what your father said. He said, why don't you guys come back with me? I have another proposal. He went back inside with these folks and he said to his father, oh father, what is your thought about this scenario. How about we do this? يَنْبَغِي أَن تَدْفَعَ الْغَنَمْ إِلَى صَاحِبِ الْحَرْثِ فَيَنْتَفِعُ بِأَلْبَانِهَا وَالسُّمُونِهَا وَأَصْوَافِهَا وَتَدْفَعُ الْحَرْثَ إِلَى صَاحِبِ الْغَنَمْ لِيَقُومَ عَلَيْهِ فَإِذَا عَادَ الزَّرْعُ إِلَى حَالِهِ إِذَا عَادَ الزَّرْعُ إِلَى حَالِهِ الَّتِي أَصَابَتْهُ الْغَنَمْ فِي السَّنَةِ الْمُقْبِلَةِ رَدَّ كُلَّ وَاحِدٍ مِنْهُمَا مَالَهُ إِلَى صَاحِبِهِ Rather than throwing the entire burden on the one guy who didn't have any control over his animals and his animals went and they trampled that land, how about we do this? How about we swap the properties? We tell the man whose property was damaged that you give ownership over this property to the person who owned the animals. He will look after this property, take care of it, and in the meantime benefit from it as well until he returns this property back to its original state. Do you guys understand? As for the other person, he will take the animals and he will benefit from them until the property returns back to its original state. One year from now, when the property is good again, you've figured out all the problems and you fixed it, then the person will give the animal back, this person will give the property back, everyone goes back their own way. So in this situation, there is benefit on both people. One gets to benefit from the animals, the other gets to benefit from the property in the meantime. And there's also a cost bear uh, that both will, will, both will carry. The one who's benefiting from the animals will have to pay for the animals, clean them, wash them, feed them. And the one who's benefiting from the property will have to also put effort into the property. Al-ghulum bil-ghulum. This is a qaida in fiqh. That you can only take benefit of something if you are investing in it too. If there's a chance of loss, then you can take profit as well. Dawud salam when he heard this proposal, he said, Ya bunayya, la yaqta'u fahmak. May Allah never decrease your understanding. May your knowledge increase. May your understanding increase. وَقَضَى بِمَا قَضَى بِهِ سُلَيْمَانِ And he gave a verdict. He gave the verdict according to what Sulaiman said. The ulama, they write that this is the relationship that a parent and child should have. A father doesn't feel threatened by the opinion of his son, by the opinion of his daughter. Rather, he celebrates it. He's excited, he's happy that this is my son. This is how intelligent my son is. A parent should be proud when their child moves forward. Many of us, unfortunately, we become angry with our kids when our kids start thinking faster and more quickly than we do. We feel threatened. Our masculinity now is now on, on the line. The child is saying, Dad, what you're doing doesn't make sense. And you're like, well, you don't make sense. I know so many people who say they want their children to grow, but they are the reason why their kids can't grow. Because they keep telling their kids how much their kids suck. How dumb they are, how foolish they are, how fat they are, how ugly they are. Wallahi, I've heard a lady say to her child with my own ears, 
that you are ugly. She's telling this to her own daughter. What confidence is this girl going to have? What optimism will this girl have in her life when she's hearing her own mother calling her Batsurat, someone who's ugly? I've heard a man calling his wife ugly. What confidence is your spouse going to have when you say stuff like this? This is emotional dhulm. This is emotional abuse. You're abusing that person. This is not acceptable. Parents telling their children that you don't know anything. This is a common statement. We say this. You don't know anything. How can you say this to someone who you want to know? You want them to know and you keep telling them what? You don't know anything. How about instead of saying you don't know anything, you walk them through a logical process that explains the issue and discusses the proposals and then you logically weigh out the pros and cons and then come to a conclusion. It'll take more time, but this is the only way that you'll know who's right and who's wrong. And it's not about you're right, I'm wrong. It's not about brownie points. But it's about intellectually growing as a community. Empower your kids. Empower your family members. Praise them. Talk about the good they have in them. Dawood was so happy when his son Suleyman came with such a, a beautiful explanation. Now this raises a, this ayah, these ayat right here that we just discussed right now, they raise, of Surah Anbiya, they raise some very serious questions. There are some very detailed and serious questions that are raised by this ayah. I'm going to try to touch on some of them briefly. The first question is, وَاخْتَلَفَ الْعُلَمَاءُ فِي جَوَازِ الْإِجْتِهَادِ عَلَى الْأَنْبِيَاءِ Is it permissible for a prophet to do ijtihad? Do you guys understand? Is it permissible for a prophet to do ijtihad? فَمَنَعَهُ قَوْمٌ وَجَوَّزَهُ الْمُحَقِّقُونَ So what is ijtihad? Ijtihad is a process that the jurist goes through in order to deliver a verdict on, a, on an issue. Okay? It's a process. Now, those who say that they cannot do ishtihad, they say based on the fact that the prophets receive revelation, so they should only say what's revealed to them. They shouldn't have to use their intellect and give a verdict accordingly. They should only say what, they, what, what is revealed to them. This is what the, their opinion is. The other scholars, they say um, that no, there is permissibility and there's actually precedence for prophets as well following the process of ishtihad when giving a ruling. فَإِنْ قِيلَ إِنَّمَا يَكُونُ دَلِيلًا إِذَا عُدِمَ النَّصُ وَهُمْ لَا يُعْدَمُونَهُ If someone says ishtihad is only something that's accepted, if there is no clear proof, and prophets always have proof because revelation is always coming to them, then the answer to that, قُلْنَا إِذَا لَمْ يَنْزِلْ مَلَكَ فَقَدْ عُدِمَ النَّصُ عِنْدَهُمْ That if the angel doesn't come with an answer, then they don't have a proof for the statement, for the, for the answer, Therefore, they will use their ijtihad, their legal reasoning, to come up with a solution. Do you guys understand that? And that's what happened here. And when the angel does not bring any revelation to them, they will now engage in research just as other than them from the non-prophets will engage in research. The difference between the prophets and non-prophets in their ijtihad, in their legal reasoning, is that a non-prophet will, can make a mistake. A non-prophet can make a, a mistake. While a prophet won't make a mistake. And if he gives a verdict that isn't the best verdict, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will correct him through some means or the other before the verdict is carried out. Do you guys understand that? 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will correct them. عن التقصير في اجتهادهم وغيرهم ليس كذلك كما ذهب الجمهور إلى أن جميع الأنبياء صلوات الله عليهم معصوم عن الخطأ والغلط في اجتهادهم وذهب علي أبو علي من أصحاب الشافعي إلى أن النبينا صلى الله عليه وسلم مخصوص منهم في الجواز منهم في الجواز الخطأ عليهم وفرق بين anyway there's this lengthy discussion here some say that it was possible for other prophets to make mistakes in their اجتهاد but not our prophet the reason is because every prophet had someone coming after them that would correct any, uh, any ishtihad, any mistake in their ishtihad. But for our prophet, since there would not be any prophet coming after him, there was no scope of making any mistake in his, in his ishtihad. Every time the Prophet ﷺ gave a verdict, if it was correct, it remained. And if there was an addition needed to be made, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would send an angel immediately to go and make the correction. And we have an example of this. A person came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him, O Messenger of Allah, uh, what is your thought regarding a person that is killed in the battlefield? The Prophet ﷺ said, all of his sins will be forgiven. And then, a little, then the Prophet called that person back. He said, go and call that person. That person came back, he said, All of his sins will be forgiven except for debt. Because Jibreel ﷺ just told me to make this clarification. Do you guys understand this concept right here? So this is a, a technical discussion. Um, Imam Qurtub rahmatullahi uh, discusses it in great detail under the tafsir of this verse. Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi while commenting on this verse said, had it, not been for, had it not been for this verse, the jurist would have been destroyed. Because in this verse we see Sulaiman was right, and Dawud was wrong, yet at the end of it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised them both. Allah said, وَكُلَّنْ آتَيْنَا حُكْمًا وَعِلْمًا that to every one of them we give knowledge. Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised both, even though one was right and the other was the other was wrong. The other made a mistake in their in their in, in, in the answer. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said as narrated in Sahih Muslim, Ida hakam al hakim, when a judge gives a verdict, fajtahada and he engages in legal reasoning in the process, meaning the answer is not straightforward. It's one that requires some thought. If he engages in legal reasoning to provide an answer and he is right, his answer is right, Allah gives him two rewards. One for the effort of engaging in the legal process, and the second is for being right. And if he engages in legal reasoning, engages in, uh, in reasoning, but uh, in legal reasoning, he, he engages in ishtihad. But comes to the wrong conclusion, he still gets one reward for the effort. But he will not get a reward for, um, uh, for getting it wrong. This is what the ulama, they write, وَقَضَاءِ مَنْ قَضَاءَ لِأَنَّ إِشْتِهَادُهُ عِبَادَةٌ وَلَا يُؤْجَرَ عَلَى الْخَطَأ بَلْ عَنْهُ الْإِثْمِ That a person will get the reward for um, doing the ishtihad, even though his answer was wrong. Naturally, you can't be given an answer for saying something that's wrong. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still favors that person by not sinning that person. That person could have been sinned for being wrong. But look at the mercy of Allah on the mujtahid. That when he's right, Allah gives him two rewards. When he's wrong, Allah rewards him for his effort and forgives him for the mistake. So, on both ends, there is nothing short of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This, by the way, does not apply if you are engaging in legal reasoning in something that requires no reasoning at all. It's straightforward. Someone says to you, how many rakat is Aisha Salah and you gain an ijtihad? You engage in ijtihad. That's nonsense. You won't get any reward for that. In all situations, you will be sent for that. 
for engaging in the ijtihad, for something that is clearly wrong, and whatever your process, whatever your result is, is meaningless at the other end too. Is it possible for two people to be correct when reading the same text? Is that possible? Two people can read one text and be correct. I hear a lot of people saying this. If the Qur'an is one, if the hadith is one, why do we have four madhabs? It's a very silly statement. I'm truly amazed by anyone that makes a statement and thinks they're intellectual. Because they are not intellectual. This is the epitome of stupidity. This is a sign that you've never engaged in any academic research. Because anyone that's ever engaged in any academic research knows that you can study one body of information with different research methodology and you will surely come to different conclusions. Is this true or not? You can study a hundred people that smoke cigarettes. Two physicians can study the same group of people, same body, and come to different conclusions. It's all dependent on your research methodology. The four madhabs in the fuqaha, they differed after studying the same text. It's not like someone studied another hadith. They studied the same hadith, the same Qur'an. Why they came to different conclusions was because of their difference in research methodology. The hadith, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ narrated by Ibn Umar that the Prophet ﷺ said, أَلَا لَا يُصَلِّيَنَّ أَحَدُنَا الْعَصْرَ إِلَّا فِي بَنِي قُرَيْضَ that no one should pray Asr Salah but in Banu Qurayza. The battle of the trenches just ended. The Prophet said, we're going straight to Banu Qurayza because they betrayed us. Head there, pray Asr Salah there. People were heading towards Banu Qurayza. On the way there, Asr time was about to run out. One group of them said, we should pray Asr because Asr time is about to run out. The other said, well the Prophet said, don't pray Asr until you get to Banu Qurayza. We're not there, so we shouldn't pray even if Asr time passes by. They said, the Prophet didn't mean that you're not supposed to pray it. He meant that quickly leave home, don't pray Asr in Medina, just get to Banu Qurayza quickly. So one group prayed because they thought they took the meaning of the statement. The other group didn't pray because they took the literal um, words of the statement. They came to the Prophet ﷺ, they presented the case to him. The Prophet ﷺ, he said they were both right. So there's no need to be aggressive when you have two people coming to different conclusions as long as their research is based on proper, um, it's based on proper uh, uh, methodology. There's another uh, narration regarding Sulaiman um, sharing his opinion on how to deal with an issue. This is a Sahih wayah. That once Dawud was sitting and two women came and there was a child and they both disputed over whose child it was. They said that we had our children, we were walking, and, and a, a wolf came and ate one of the animals and took the, an, one of the animal, came and t- an animal came and took our child away. There's one child left, the older lady was claiming it's my child, the young one was claiming it's my child. So Dawud gave a verdict that the child will be given to the older lady. Sulaiman said to his father, oh my father, can I have a knife please? His father said, why? By the way, what's interesting is that he says um, in the riwayah, Sulaiman said, Come to me with a sikin. I will cut the child between the two. Give me a knife, I will cut the child between the two. So you can take half the child, you can take half the child. End of situation. Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu, he says, when narrating this hadith, he says, I had never heard of this word sikin before. What did he say? Before hearing this hadith, I had never heard of the word sikin before. In our culture, in our land, instead of sikin, what would we say? 
Mudia, which also means a knife. He said, this is the first time I heard the word Sikkim when the Prophet said these words. Anyway, Sulaiman salam, he said, bring me the knife. Dawud is letting this play out, see what's going on here. And when he takes a child, getting ready to cut the child into two, the younger one says, no, 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 don't cut the child, she can have the child. And Sulaiman salam knew that only a true mother would have such mercy on a child that she would not want her child to die. While the older one was more calm, the younger one was the one that was panicking. Therefore, Sulaiman told his father that the child belongs to the young one, not the older one, because of this qarina, because of this uh, sign. Um, does this mean Dawud verdict was wrong? Not at all. Dawud verdict was based on the facts. What were the facts? The fact was, Dawud gave the verdict for the older lady that she take the child because of some clear proofs. What were the proofs? Okay. Um, no, okay, sorry. What was the proof? This is the ruling. When they came to Dawud it's possible the older lady was carrying the child. Therefore, the one that says that it's my child who's not holding the child is the one that's making the claim. Do you guys understand? If the older lady was carrying the child when they came to meet Dawud, the younger one was empty-handed, she now has to provide proof because she's making a claim. Now, Dawud knew that she wouldn't be able to provide any proof. And if she can't provide proof, the ruling is that you have to leave things the way they are, which means the one who walked in with the child is the one that has to walk out with the child. This is why Dawud gave the verdict he gave, and Sulaiman gave another position, another opinion. Dawud lived a long life. We learn from the narration that Imam Hakim he narrates in his Mustadrak from Abu Hurairah, Nabi said that Adam saw the soul of Adam, yes. He saw the soul of Dawud He said, Ya Allah, this one looks special. He asked Allah, how long will this one live? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, 60 years. So Dawud said, give him 40 of mine. Give him 40 of my years. I shared this story, by the way, in the story of Adam I shared this narration in the story of Adam When the angel of death came to Adam to take his soul, he said, I have 40 years left. They said, don't you remember you gave those 40 years to? Your child, Dawud Fanasi, Adam forgot. Based off this narration of Imam Hakim rahmatullahi alayhi, we learn that Sayyidina Dawud lived a long life of 100 years. He lived a long life of 100 years. Somebody wayat mentioned that the angel of death came into his home and made it clear that I am the angel of death here to take your, take your soul. And Dawud um, with that, he left the dunya. Um, and with this, we finish off the story of Sayyidina Dawud We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us with knowledge, strength, skill, and wisdom like the great Sayyidina Dawud We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahabihi jma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.